to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? You're drowning and I throw you a life jacket. Would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show him a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Hello, Wolf X, Tyson Jackson. I'm Tamal. We got Andrew on the board. S&P futures are down this morning. They were down yesterday morning. We came almost all the way back. Did it at one point. Are down 20. NASDAQ futures down 78. Dow futures down 145. So retracing a little bit here um, the big rallies of the first half of the year, but we'll see. Again, we're still in kind of a buy the, buy, <coughs> buy the dip mode. Andrew's already been buying his futures, haven't you, Andrew? Yes, I have. You already got your two spoos? You ready to go? Absolutely. Do we have Mr. Lou, Professor Lou? Good morning, sir. How are you? How are you, man? What's going on? Oh, not, not much. I mean, we just had a couple of major Supreme Court decisions, and the reverberations of those are still uh, echoing through the media. We had a a major court decision on the 4th of July from a federal court judge in Louisiana yeah. who issued a preliminary injunction, which is no small thing, basically shutting down uh, the government's attempt to censor uh, political positions and speech on Twitter, Facebook, and other social media that it did not like uh, a collusion between um Department of Homeland Security. It looks like the CIA, the FBI, and federal agencies, and uh, Twitter, Facebook, um, a few others, where you you effectively had government representatives directing what uh, speech to uh, for these for these social media uh, outlets to suppress, censor, or or outright ban. Okay, how did um, how did somebody find out about that enough to prove it and get it into a court and who is the somebody well uh, a lot of this arises from our friend Elon Musk who turned all of his Twitter uh, communications and files over to a couple of investigative journalists named Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi um, Matt Taibbi has been on the show before as you recall Yes, they testified before Congress uh, uh, what, five, four or five months ago. Those guys dug into it and then started publishing um, one after another of these uh, these documents, which were then you know promptly turned over to um, uh, documents from the federal government to Twitter yes, saying from the federal government to these agencies as well as um, depositions that the but this case got filed back in September before all this hit the fan because they had pretty clear indications that, that this stuff was going on. The court allowed the plaintiffs, who are the uh, a number of individuals plus the attorneys general of um, Missouri and Louisiana, I believe, to take depositions. And they so they deposed, you know, Fauci and, and a number of Facebook and Twitter executives but by the time they got to doing these depositions, they had access to these these, these communications between, um, you know, between the agencies and, and in, internally in the agencies. And so, the if you read the the opinions, 155 pages, most of it factual, 
And if you read it, it it's astounding that you you basically have officials in the Biden administration. And this is there was some stuff going on during the Trump years, but most of this revolves around around Biden's and people's efforts to suppress COVID uh, information, like the lab leak theory and and you know the the effectiveness of masking, the effectiveness of the shutdowns, the effectiveness of the vaccines. What they were doing was was telling um, Facebook, Twitter executives. Look, we have a narrative we're trying to establish. Anything that's inconsistent with that narrative is misinformation or disinformation, and it needs to be shut down. And of course, now we know that much of what they were trying to suppress was in fact accurate. Well, and, and Lou, it seems to me as an outsider, I mean, I know, you know, you and, and Mike have been involved in the the military part, and I know in my heart of hearts there's stuff that absolutely has to be kept secret. But I'm absolutely convinced that over half of the stuff that's secret is just to stop somebody from being embarrassed. Well, that's, I, I mean, that's what's so disturbing about this. This is this is like, like a worst-case scenario. Do you remember the French Church Committee? Yeah, yeah. But, so the Church Committee is formed, the Senate Committee formed when it we, we all found out that the CIA and the FBI we're basically colluding against American citizens, and especially the CIA, operating on U.S. soil, which is, you know, absolutely verboten in their charter. We're, we're colluding to to spy on and damage American citizens who were protesting the Vietnam War and and some other stuff. And you know, this this goes this goes under the rubric of of national security. And I want to come I want to come back to the misuse of quote, national security, unquote, interests in, in the uh, affirmative action case because it, because it surfaces there. But, but the misuse of this, you know, this is all for your own good. This well, you, you do know that the, uh, my doctor uh, told me that they all got a letter from the, who it was, whoever, whoever runs the doctors in Illinois, that any sort of uh, publicity or anything going against the COVID shots and everything else, and they would lose their license. Oh, yeah. Now, well, how no, how the hell do they do that? I mean, how, how does even th- somebody think they have that, that authority? Tom, Tom, we, we, I sound like a conspirator, a conspiratorial uh, wacko, tinfoil hat guy, but, but most of our agencies, upon which we rely for neutral, unbiased advice on things like medical care, things like education, things like, um, you know, personal financial uh, advice have have been ideologically captured by a pro, and I'm not even sure I could characterize it as a progressive movement. It's a pro-Democrat party. It's a, it's a pro-big money movement. From, from well, the, from I, the I don't, I don't, I, I can't, I can't draw that line yet. I can draw a very straight line from the the interests of the Democratic Party and its ideologues, the ideologues that are running it, to the American Medical Association, the American Pediatric Association, uh, any number of, of university chairs, all of whom were issuing the same stuff as if it had all been scripted out for them about vaccine uh, vaccine efficacy, 
Um, why do you why do you put, why are you putting this in the past the tense? Lockdowns, mask wearing, all of that. Have you been in a, in a drugstore lately? Why are you putting this in the past tense? They're still telling people to get shots. Oh, I know, I know. And, and so, the, but but the capture, as I said, this is all the subject of ideological capture. Where where if if the Democrat Party puts out a line on this stuff, these guys all jump on it and support it without hesitation. More importantly, they run their regulatory schemes in a way that suppresses dissent because that, and, and there's a, I hate to hesitate to call it this, but I'll, I will. It's called the totalitarian left. And, and there is a very strong totalitarian and authoritarian bias in the, in the major. Well, one, one of these days, okay, one of, the, one of these days when we don't have so much to talk about. You and I are gonna have to take take that one apart because I uh, the interesting and most disgusting thing about my industry, Lou, is this is all very old. If you're in this business, my business, sure. because it, the, the 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 big firms have been able to totally compromise the the uh, regulatory group to the point where they are the regulatory group. You could never. I, you, I mean, it, it always it always was was big dough, and even even today, you, you you don't see anybody coming on TV talking about how payment for order flow does nothing but screw the customer. You know, I mean, yeah. you, know you know, you have people. The uh, the interesting part, I'll, I'll just say one thing here, Luke, because I got a million questions for you. When you if you buy a stock now, there's and it's offered at eighty eight oh one, you might get filled at eighty eight. Point zero 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 nine. You're gonna get, you're gonna get filled at like a hundredth of a cent cheaper than it's offered. What that really means is the person who's offered might be another customer or somebody <clears throat> is getting screwed out of getting the the deal, and he only gets yeah. the the fill until when he's run through. But you have all kinds of news organizations that are on TV that will say everybody from Schwab to any one of these sleazeball firms will say. Wow, ninety-five percent of the people get improvement in our system. Okay, it's a hundredth of a cent, and the improvement is nobody wants to put a standing order in. So what you end up is an absolute loser on the deal over the long run. Yet yeah. not one person says, "Well, wait a minute, aren't you guys trading within the penny?" Nobody, nobody ever asked the. I guess. So in the context, and 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 I understand that in the context of this lawsuit, that that you know is is. That, the major news media organizations could not ignore this result because you have a federal judge yeah. basically shutting down pieces of the federal government and its federal activity. The spin, the first spin that comes out is out of the New York Times, which of course has been completely captured by these people. And the, and the New York Times says, oh my God, this court order is going to prevent the government in its efforts to, to combat this information. And I, my immediate reaction to that was, you are the disinformation. Yeah. The government was the disinformation. Anthony Fauci was suppressing right. within his organization the whole Wuhan lab theory. He was suppressing the idea that lockdowns were ineffective. They were, you know, these were the sources of disinformation. And and the, the mainstream press, the, the corporate media, is ultimately, as I said, completely captured by, by this idea. They are they are almost frozen right now, with respect to how to respond to this case because this this 150 well well I mean you know how they're going to respond to it can we can we 
since we're going to be talking about this, I'm sure, for a couple of weeks, Lou, can we, can we back up just a hair? And a question that I had with uh, Mr. Flanagan, and of course he told me to ask you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like I know. Well, I mean, we have a document that's probably one of the best documents ever written, which is our Constitution, yet it's not perfect, right? And I can, I can point out a couple spots where I think it's not perfect. Mostly has to do with corporations don't die. So there's a behavior pattern that was, is a, is, was totally unavailable to these people when they wrote it, even though the purists would say they, they anticipated all this crap. No, they didn't. They assumed people died. Corporations don't die. But I guess what I, my, my question is, it's pretty clear and makes a whole lot of sense that one part enforces the law, one part allegedly makes the law, and the other one interprets the law. But when you're interpreting the law against the group that is supposed to enforcing the law, and you don't have any enforcement powers on your own, what's the point? I mean, I, I don't see, you know, they're right around, they're scurrying about, and I'm not, this is not, I mean, the Biden group is right in front of everybody's face with this. They're about as worse as I've ever seen. But Trump was very happy to ignore everything the Supreme Court said about him, too. I mean, I mean, well, well I mean, he's, a, no. But I'm saying they, you know, they're, they're all, this, is, this has been going, but I'm saying this, this has been going on, the, the gentleman's agreement, which I don't think there ever really was a law, that people in that kind of power weren't supposed to trade. Okay, what's his name? Uh, Bush's uh, VP, and he screwed that. I'm not going. I'm not going to pay attention. I'm trading while I'm in here. I'm vice president. Tell us his name. Uh, that that's not, yeah. But okay. So let let's let me go. Let me reach back. The most or the, the 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 most obvious example of this was probably Obama, who just said, you know, I'm I'm going to ignore the Supreme Court or the the legal issues with DACA, and and I'm going to yeah. do whatever I want on that. I, I I never heard Trump. I never heard Trump say anything like that. I never heard. I never heard an issue with. And, and and this this is a I think a uniquely Democrat Party problem. Well, without I mean, without because, because in terms of degree, because again of the ideological capture of the press, the cultural institutions. I, I'm not going to disagree with you there, but I'm saying this idea of the of the emperor presidency. Is has been going on since, actually, George Bush won. No. Well, no. It's, it's been going on since okay, Andrew Jackson. Okay, but I'm saying his. But you George Bush Andrew won. Jackson's famous comment. I think it, it would. Yeah, Marshall, Marshall shut down. I think it was the the. Um, I think it was John Marshall, the bank. His bank attempt to run a federal bank, and he said something to the effect of, "Well, John Marshall's made his decision. Now let him enforce it." You know, again, the, the 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 or or as Joe Stalin said, when when you know the, his advisors told him that that the the Pope was opposing some of the things he was he was proposing to do in in uh, in in the Soviet Union, and and Stalin said, "How many battalions does the Pope have?" Yeah, well, I mean, but Bush yeah. one actually went to Congress to get approval for the first Iraq War, and his his. Goofballs around him, Rumsfeld, and who was the other guy, were absolutely adamant that he didn't have to do it, and he needed to prove a point by not doing it. But Bush overrode him, so Bush yeah. might have been the last honest guy who actually thought he he had actually had some some chains well, on. Bush, him. I mean, Bush too. Bush too got congressional approval for Iraq. Right, okay, too. But I'm saying that the the guys around Bush one, they were one of the neocons, were one of the first groups to really say you should push this issue. The advisors, so so we're all clear on this. The advisors around the president are constantly telling him to to challenge the limitations on his authority. Right. So that so that 
you know, he's not setting a precedent for future presidents. I mean, I mean, it, it, it you know what the war powers resolution is? I've, I've heard of it. I don't know much about it as you do. But I guess, I guess my question is... What, my, my point is the war powers resolution limits the ability of the president to, to keep forces in the field for, I believe, it's 90 days. He can do that unilaterally, but after but after ninety days, unless he's gotten an authorization from Congress, that that uh, the money is, disappears. Do you know how many times the War Power and, and this was passed in the eighties? Do you know how many times the War Powers Resolution has been invoked by Congress to shut down a president who is committing American forces to combat? Uh, none, I would imagine. Yes, zero. And and so. The my point my your point is exactly right. What happens when you have an executive branch that says we're not going to do this, and and the check on the executive branch has always been ultimately the people who who in voting say okay, you're breaking the law. We see you breaking the law. We see you ignoring the Supreme Court or whomever. We're going to vote you out. If that doesn't happen. Then and 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 if and it, it won't happen when you have a a a party that is effectively unaccountable because of its. As well, I said, you won't have it if, if people don't know what the hell we're talking about. Well, that's what I mean. It it won't happen if it, because of its ideological capture of of media and culture and and the federal workforce, ninety percent of whom vote Democrat. If you've got that, then then it, you've got a recipe for. An executive that can effectively say, "I don't have to worry about this because I'm not going to be lambasted in the press. I'm not going to have a revolt on the part of my my the, uh, executive employees. We're going to have to put this into effect, and and I can I can control the voting process or the, or the perception sufficiently that I don't that I I'm not in any danger of, of losing power." Well, I mean, that, let's, let's, let's drag it down then, to a. Then you, got, then you got a rebellion. Okay, but let's let's. Uh, God, I got so many questions. When I'm, I got, I'm, I'm struggling to see which one I want to ask first. Let's well, well, let's, let's stick with this. Let's okay, let's take. All right, well, I, I want to get down to the. You know, I'm a very simple guy. I want to get down to the nitty gritty. Uh, let's take the Harvard case. It's simpler in my mind. You can't right. use quotas to let these people in and keep these people out. Okay. No, you can't use race. Okay. Determining factor. All right, so <laughs> Harvard's first quote, I think, and all I didn't hear it, was basically up yours. So now, yep. now they're going to say, okay, everybody has to write a, a thirty-word thing saying how you have hardship in life, and you can, you can pick out from people writing. And every, and every time they mention black in the in the in the hardship discussion, uh, they get a point for admission. That's right. So so yeah. we we're, so we're going to do that. Now I don't think. There's a very there's a very easy response to that. Okay, but I don't think either the the, the future Trump Biden Kennedy administration is going to take on Harvard. Okay, I don't think so. No, and plus Judge Robert, plus Judge Roberts is not going to come out and say, "Hey, we made this ruling, and you asshole, I mean, are still doing it." They're not going to do that. So it's going to well, take. Actually, they, they've all, they, chief. They're already they're already doing that with gun control. Okay, but but I, and I have a more basic, even more basic question. I dig into the basics here, Lucas. You're my you're my basic guy. If if I were to go to you and say, "Hey, this guy did something to me," and uh, and I want you to sue him, 
the first thing out of your mouth, and any attorney that I've ever met, is going to say, well, what are your damages? Well, there aren't any. I just don't like the guy. When you're, you're going to say, well, how the hell are you going to pay me? First thing, right? Well, I'm curious how this thing made it to the Supreme Court. I'm going to be more specific on this particular rule because if I have this question, none of my other attorneys have asked, been able to answer this. How is it that it got there without any damages? I mean, if there I... Were damages. What? They, there were damages. They were representing the plaintiffs in the in the Students for Fair Admissions, SSFFA. I, I, I get it, but my, my, my question is, is if I'm an Asian American, okay, and I and I got essentially screwed by this deal, or I thought I did, and I take I this... I apply to Harvard, and I get rejected. And then I, and I end up going to... Uh, I end up going to Kent, all right? So here it is 10 years later. This thing took about seven years to make it sort of courts, right? Here it is 10 years later. I got my law degree from Kent. I'm making 60 grand a year, and the people from Harvard are making 150 grand a year. You owe me nine years times 90 grand plus interest. How, how is it that there isn't some... If, if there's no difference between the... There's no monetary difference between the Harvard education and the other one, what, what is, the whole point is there is a difference, right? So why, how is it that the... 800 or 1,000 or 5,000 people that got affected by this don't all have a bill hanging over them and Harvard isn't writing a check. Let me, let me just back. Okay, so, so one of the fundamental elements of constitutional litigation, which is why this, one of the reasons this case was framed as a 14th Amendment violation in addition to a, a, a Title VI, excuse me, a Title VI violation of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. The, 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 stat, the case was, was postulated like that, <clears throat> and you see Gorsuch referencing Title VI in his, in his commentary. But when you sue somebody for a constitutional violation and you're suing a government, damages are presumed. There is no, you do not have to come in and say, I suffered X amount of economic damage. Because a constitutional violation, by its very nature, as you so accurately pointed out, it's almost impossible to quantify damages. You suppressed my speech. Okay, well, how much money is that worth? The courts, the courts have, have always recognized that you, there is no money issue here. You've damaged a constitutional right. There is all, or, or you've suppressed a constitutional right. Damages, for purposes of a court case, are presumed. Well, then who paid the attorneys? Therefore, well, the attorneys get paid. Well depending on the statute they're suing under, and I believe this was the case for all of the cases we want to talk about, the, the attorney's fees are, are uh, incorporated into a damage, into an award. If you, if you prevail on your case, the other side pays your attorney's fees. So, so these guys, somewhere this is going to be remanded to a lower court and they're going to say, you guys get this, this, and this. It's not, it's not just... Yes, that's right. That's okay. right. They, right. They, they, the, case, the Supreme Court decides in the, in the affirmative action case decides in favor of SFFA the case is kicked back down to the to the trial court in I believe it's Boston kicked back down to the trial court and and you know the the plaintiffs stand up and say we are a prevailing party that's the term we are the prevailing party under the under the rules of of litigation in these kinds of cases we get attorney's fees here court <clears throat> it's called a lodestar calculation here court our our list of our uh, fees, the hours we put in on the case, um, broken out. Here it is, and then the court will look at that. The other side gets to say, "No, no, that's too expensive," which is what they always say. That's too expensive. Cut it back. 
and the court will make a determination on that case. So Harvard and UNC are going to write a check? Uh, yes. Yes, they will. How did UNC and, become the first public state university? I would never have guessed that. I don't know. I mean, I would, I would, I would have, I would have thought it had been Rutgers or somebody. I would, or, thought, I, would have, I would have thought it was UVA, but um, regardless, the the you know, I, I I think they targeted, I think they targeted UNC mainly because of the crazy nature of its of its admission system, which was just as bad as Harvard's. Let me let me point one thing out, and this is good. Hey, how about we go to how do we go to break and continue? So we go to a short break because this is really interesting. Okay. Uh, SP futures down eighteen, as if you're down fifty nine. Come back a little bit. Uh, we'll be right back. Stocks and Jacks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding health care reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630 401 8810 or search us on the web at cognoshr.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. On tomorrow, Andrew on the board. SP Futures down 18. The Futures Futures down 63. We'll see if we come back from that. We seem like we always do lately. Uh, always lately. I don't know if that's a, the right way to say that. Dow Futures down 141. Individual stocks. Uh, American Express down 287. That's kind of the biggest one. We have Microsoft up 285, so that negates that. The rest of them are kind of reddish a little bit. Caterpillar down buck 13. Chevron Texaco down 91 cents, so nothing major. We're in Europe. We've got uh, Dex down 181. Uh, global economies drag. There you go. Uh, it's 1.1 percent. FTSE down 94, 1.3 percent. Kick around almost 2 percent. Down 129, it's 1.8. So we got some some selling off over there. Nikkei down 565, 1.7. Hong Kong stocks down 3 <laughs> percent. We just talking about them being over 19,000 yesterday. They're not, well, not anymore. 18,533. It's down 577, 3 percent. Shanghai down 17, only 0.5 percent, which is interesting. Hang Seng's down. Uh, 3% in Shanghai, only 0.5. That's the way they operate these there these days. Uh, yesterday, Dow was down 129, S&P down 8, NASDAQ down 25. So, down but not much. If we stay here, it'll be two days in a row on that. Well, look at this, though. 10-year, 3.98. So, it's one of the reasons why we're leaking here a little bit, because we're pushing at 4%. Bund up uh, 6 basis points, 2.54. Japan up 5 basis points, 0.43. That's the highest we've seen that in a while. Oil up 31 cents, 72.10. Rent up 23 cents, 76.88. Natural gas unchanged at 266. Arbob unchanged 252. We've got gold up 480, 19.30. Still really range bound. Silver unchanged 23.41. It was up yesterday. Copper down four cents, 371. We've got Bitcoin up 693, over 31,000 now, 31,191. And we have the U.S. dollar 
down against the euro and down against the uh, British pound with the euro almost back to 109 the British pound over 127 British pound has been the strongest of the currencies lately Andrew what do you got for us uh, traffic weather sports all right it is a 635 here in Chicago starting off with some sports here in Chicago the Cubs won over the Brewers four to three and yesterday the Diamondbacks lost to the Mets two to one uh, the White Sox were going to play the Blue Jays uh, but that was uh, postponed due to some very very heavy rain and it uh, looks like the makeup date is today I can get you the time for that in just a second um, let's see it looks like it'll be made up today at uh, 4 10 p.m. now uh, over to Chicago weather it's currently 71 degrees today cloudy skies uh, thankfully it looks like only gonna have a high of six percent chance of rain so hopefully that won't be hitting us. Uh, and other than that, it is a high in temperature of 77. That's going to hit around 4 p.m. Now over in Phoenix, uh, they are currently at 85 degrees. They've got clear skies. Uh, but they have an excessive heat warning and an air quality alert. Uh, heat, uh, the high can go up to about 110 today. Uh, and it's going to be over 100 from about 11 a.m. to about 8 p.m. So it's going to be a very warm one today. And it's recommended to stay indoors due to that air quality alert as well. Uh, now, finally, to Chicago traffic. Uh, it looks like, thankfully, no uh, major accidents today. Still have some road closures in the loop due to that uh, NASCAR race on Sunday. Uh, only thing to take note of, if you're coming in on the inbound expressways, is between the uh, Foster Avenue and Armitage Avenue on the Kennedy, there are some pretty heavy delays to that ever-so-wonderful construction. But other than that, roads are looking above average today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of people are off to say, Lou, if you... Uh your absolutely spectacularly accurate biological clock would have been off so much last night. If you'd have looked out a window downtown about 6.30, you'd have sworn it was midnight. It was so dark down here. We had rain like you wouldn't believe. But it, you look out the window, uh, you'd swear it yeah. was it was wintertime. I, um, I remember lots of those days there. And um, we, get them, we get them here occasionally, but the weather, weather seems to move a little more quickly here in Denver than it did in Chicago. So you'll get a you'll get a a really black kind of cloud, you know, deck moving over the city, but it, it doesn't it doesn't stay here very long. The thing on Sunday where we had almost nine inches of rain on some of the south side areas, Luda, the one weather guy I was watching at night, it was it was almost it was a tropical type of storm. The guy was showing it, it was rotating. It almost had like an eye. And didn't yeah. and stayed over this area for like big, two, three hours. And just never, never left with like two inches an hour of rain. Big strong, big strong low pressure system and and pulling up lots of uh, lots of moisture. Yeah, I mean, we see that here. It's called a when we see that here, it's called an upslope, and it it means that the the weather pattern, which normally comes in from the west and northwest, is now coming in from the south and the southeast, and and it you know, it upslope. Going up the up the Rockies or up the uh, up the, the front of the Rockies. Well, if and, you had a uh, that typically brings in lots of lots of weather. If you had a uh, uh, if you were a cockroach on the wall, or I don't think they have cockroaches. If you were a some whatever kind of bug on the wall at Harvard today, do you think that ninety percent of their mental uh, mental vibes is towards complying with this or getting around it? I'm going to say getting around it. Yeah, and, and this this goes in, this is a perfect segue into my next point, the delicious irony of what is about to happen. Because back in the 60s and the 50s, when the Supreme Court began dismantling the segregation 
laws and segregation structure in the South. You, you've got what was called a massive resistance movement at the time, and that's the way they characterized it, in the South, where they said, we are going to do everything we can to subvert uh, so the Supreme Court ruling so that we don't have to follow it. And one of the first things that they did with respect to things like voting rights and things like that is that they started putting in job qualifications, is that is that employers and government started putting in non-racial qualifications for voting for jobs, etc., and and basically disguising the fact that they were discriminating on the basis of race in favor of white people or against black people, discriminating in favor of race, or but doing it in a non-racial way, and this led to a whole body of law in employment discrimination and now public policy called uh, under, under what's called the disparate impact theory. And the, the seminal case is a case called Duke Griggs v. Duke Power, which which involved the requirements that were being put in place by Duke Power in, the, in I believe, North Carolina to um, basically shut down the hiring of, of uh, black workers in, you know, fairly mundane jobs. So you would have, for example, a job requirement that a guy shoveling coal in the power plant would, would be required to pass a literacy test that was comparable to somebody in college. You know, it had nothing to do with the job. It was just a job requirement that was imposed because they discovered that, you know, the African-American employees were not going to be able to function at, or were not going to have this kind of a, of a background that they could pass a, a test on Shakespeare, for example. I'm going to think a lot of the Southern whites couldn't either. Well, but it was it was it was <clears throat> a lot of Southern whites weren't applying for those those jobs, right? Right. And, and so and so they were focused on specific jobs where you had a, a significant African American representation. And the court said, "Look, we see what's going on here. You can't uh, you can't have job qualifications or voting qualifications." I'm sure you remember some of the voting act. Okay, uh, wait, no, 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 would you? No, back up, uh, please. If when the, when the the court said, I mean, nobody nobody brought a report to the chief justice to say this is going on. Somebody had to bring another lawsuit that took another five to seven years to get there, right? Well, it took it took it took two to three years back then, but yes, yeah, and they had they had the reports. So you have a trial court. But no, there's never been a case where some. Justice just went out on his own and said, "Hey, look, we made this call two years ago. We haven't seen anything changing. Get with it." No, I mean nobody's ever done that, right? Um, no, yeah, the, the justices can't initiate that on their own. Although, and generally, that there are circumstances where a, a federal, where a trial court judge could do something like that, but not the Supreme Court. Okay, so the guy in Louisiana. I know we're kind of skipping around, but it's sort of the same subject. The guy in Louisiana. He has no power to make sure that any of this stuff ever changes. I mean, if all of a sudden tomorrow they're going to come clean and Wuhan and all the other stuff. Well, the federal judge, so so the federal trial court judge who just issued that preliminary injunction, will if if the feds violate that order, and somebody somebody rats them out, or the or the plaintiffs' attorneys find out that that for example the FBI is still talking to Facebook, trying to suppress certain information. <clears throat> they'll go. They'll go straight to the trial court judge, and say they're violating your injunction. Do something, and but, he has the power. But you and I know the federal, the FBI is not going to stop today. Well, there's some indication that they are. They are starting, but but 
yeah, I'm sure there are violations going on, and they'll they'll get ferreted out eventually. And and I assume you know if, if we catch them, the federal judge can move on them. I mean, I mean, it's it's sort of the functional equivalent. And I I, I don't mean to jump around too much here. It's all the same but, subject. But, it's all the same subject. It's just different okay. iterations. It, of it. it actually is. It actually is an enforcement. But but let's let's assume that the Department of Justice is actually doing its job as a federal law enforcement agency. If, if, and I'm going to give you a hypothetical, if you or I were arrested on a gun charge, like falsifying an application for a gun, or we were in illegal possession of a firearm, and the, and the DOJ orchestrated a plea deal for us so that we would plead guilty to a felony, but we wouldn't go to jail, we get put on probation for two years. Don't do anything wrong for, for two years, and this charge will go away. And then they were to find, say, cocaine in our house. All right? And we were a known drug user. The DOJ, if it was doing its job, would grab us, you or me, and drag us down and have us drug tested immediately. <coughs> Excuse me. On the theory that we were, we just violated the terms of our probation. And then they would take that information and go to the judge and say, he's just violated probation, throw, throw, throw the book at him. That's what would happen if DOJ was doing its job. And, that, and, and this is the kind of, it's the same kind of thing you would see in one of these, these civil rights cases. The, the, the plaintiffs find out, see evidence that this is going on in violation of the court's order, and they go straight to the court. They go right to the judge and say, "This is a problem. They're breaking. They're breaking your your law, your order. Throw the throw the book at them." But I, I just I'm, I'm having, now, as you can tell, I'm having a serious issue by, by he, whether it's the FBI or the I'm saying whether it's the FBI or the Chicago police or whatever. You're, you're essentially flinging back at the law enforcement group the idea that they're the ones that are giving some of the mis, misinformation out. I mean, it, to kick it right back to them, it's. It's like, it's like physician heal thyself or something. It, it's, it seems kind of weird to me, I guess is what I'm saying. It, well, well it, it's, a, it's a huge problem since we now know that our, our intelligence agencies and our law enforcement agencies are, are being run by ideologues who will not, except in the most extreme circumstances, enforce the law against people that they happen to like. Well, do you think Hunter, <laughs> by the way, do you think Hunter Biden is being drug tested right now? No, and I... I, I no people that uh, had their kids out there as as uh, clerks in some of the places, and the guy was a loser from day one. I mean, everybody knows it. My my point my point is that if you or I were on in a situation like Hunter, <clears throat> on probation, with known drug problems, and and for a gun felony, and and we they found drugs in our house. We would be hauled in for a drug uh, test. I'm going to say, in you've been out of Chicago too long, and Chicago totally turns out as to who the person is. I mean, you never see people high end. I mean, going to jail for drugs. I, I, I'm not talking about going to jail for drugs. I'm talking about going to jail. He is he is in a probationary. He's pleaded guilty to a gun felony. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. In the terms of that that plea, were. You got to you got to stay away from drugs. You got to stay away from guns. 
you've got to keep yourself completely clean for two years. And and they now have and, and he's a he's a confessed crack addict, cocaine addict. And we find cocaine in his house where he's living. All right? At the, I mean how, how did they how they get this how did they get the search warrant? They didn't get a search warrant. They found it. It was in a baggie or something in the West Wing. And and you know, they Oh, you were talking about the White House. Okay, right, yes. right, right. Yes. Hunter He's Biden lives in the White House? Yes, he lives in the White House. He and his Oh, I didn't know that. Ooh, I didn't know that at all. He's 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 there. <clears throat> he's there because he can't be served. He was he was doing it in part, I assume, because because he was trying to avoid service from the Arkansas state court that was that was, you know, trying to get him for uh, child support. But yeah, they're there. Oh, I didn't know. And, oh, you know, oh, that's a, that's <laughs> whenever I never put two and two together. That they found cocaine in the White House that he lived there. I, why, I, I, boy, oh boy, I'm, I'm brain dead or something. That's, that's why. That's why I was making the analogy. Oh, by the way, if you want to see a really entertaining video, get on get on Twitter and find the video of him on the balcony of the White House with his with his wife and baby. I assume that's who he's, who he's around. But I learned a new word yesterday as I was looking at this video. And somebody said this guy is totally zooted. Z o o t. Oh God. Well, you know, I, I still, I, I mean, I, I'm my my issue. And by the way, you've helped quite a bit. I still this this thing about misinformation. To me, it's been somewhat rampant, certainly in my industry, for as long as I've been here. And all of a sudden, one judge in Louisiana stands up and say, "This stops." I don't know. It's like it's like it's like telling the the army of uh, crickets that was crossing Nevada to stand. One guy stands up in front of his property and says, "Okay, you guys stop here." It ain't stopping, little. I don't think. It's it's on every single level. Are you still with us? I'm thinking we might have lost him, Andrew. Still here? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm still. I'm saying I, it, it's it's like somebody saying I'm, the crickets got to stop walking across Nevada. I mean, it, it, it's 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 so in it's, it's so inbred and even even the, the the states that are that are red or blue or doesn't everybody's trying to influence everybody else's thinking all up and down the, the, the whole bit. That's true. And 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 the general rule, as you and I have talked about, is that is that private companies like Twitter could suppress this all day long. So could Facebook. But what they can't do is they can't do it at the request and the direction of the federal government, and that's that's and that, that's a very str- very high bar to, to to meet or very high bar to jump over. But but this judge's opinion, with all of the evidence that he's collected, is is very clear evidence. I, that, I'm with you, and, and the, the, the the stupidity was is to make a trail. I mean, remember in the the movie Major League. Where the guy says, "I got a contract. You make you can't make me do uh, push-ups." And he threw the contract in the ground and peed on it. Never said a word to the guy. Never said, "I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay attention to your contract or anything." But he, he made his point. I mean, it, it, it. This is not. I mean, when you talk about CNBC, you know, who I watch all day, by the way. I mean, uh, them and Fox because I got to watch for my clients. But Lou, they're not going to have me on CNBC. First, I got to face for radio. But secondly, they don't want me on there. Telling was saying that the CPI numbers are all bleeped up, and oh, by the way, the money supply that the Fed is causing the same thing they cause what they're saying they're trying to fix, because they want to be the first place 
that Jerome Powell comes and gives a, a softball interview with Steve Leisman. It, it has nothing to do with, with any kind of a thing to keep this guy or that guy. There's three or four people that I don't see on there anymore. They used to be on the same page as me and this economic stuff. They're not asked back. But it's, it's so subtle. Lou, all you're going to do is, is make things more subtle. The, the, in, in Washington right now, I'm gonna, you know, and I'm being pretty sour here about this, and I think, well, first of all, I don't have anywhere near as respect for the law as you do, because I see in an industry I, I'm in, was, I, I had no respect for the, for the people that are in, in the law side of this. I don't know what their motivation is, but all the, the big guys always seem like, oh, the other people don't. I mean, right now, they're, they're, there's, there's spankings going on in Washington have nothing to do with, with what they did, it's how stupid they were by actually sending people letters and stuff. I'm guessing. Or am I too even? Or am I too sour? Or did you not even hear that? The analogy, the analogy you're looking for, is, is not major league. It's the wire, where Stringer Bell sits down and and tells Avon Barksdale, you you don't you don't you don't write out. You're going to engage in a drug conspiracy. You, you don't write it out. Yeah. So so anyway, the the my my point my point on this on this this case is is eventually, even if if the federal agencies refuse to do it, eventually this case is going to end up with the Supreme Court, and and you're going to have and and, and I, I, as much as I don't want Donald Trump to be the Republican nominee again, <clears throat> I have to give him credit for the justices that he appointed, all of whom seem to be thoughtful and reasonably well-balanced, and and this is the kind of thing that will drive those guys crazy. So so I'm, I'm thinking that this, is, it, this, it, this may eventually get to the Supreme Court, if it does. Um, so, so, so how, okay, how, how will it get there? The other side will appeal? Or yeah, the, that's the federal government, the Department of Justice, I'm sure, is preparing an appeal right now. But you're, but you're saying that the, the, the evidence is pretty strong. The evidence is overwhelming. And so, so, the, so if, you're, if you're looking at an appeal by DOJ, you're saying to yourself, if we appeal this to a federal appellate court, see, now we've got, all we've got right now is one federal judge who says this. This actually happened in one of my, one of my cases. Uh, we, we've just got one federal judge who's saying this. If we appeal it, we get a court of appeals ruling, which is much more persuasive. We're going to get a court of appeals ruling that could kill us. And if we appeal that, we end up in front of a very hostile or a, a likely hostile Supreme Court. Uh, I'm going to say that uh, if, um, for my South Side antics, if I'm going to ignore it, I want to start ignoring it today. I don't want it to go any further and stay in the press for another two years. Well, that's right, and that's right. And, and so at some point... At some point, we'll see we'll see more of a clash here. But my my and I want to go back real quick to this Harvard your your situation with the Harvard guys saying we're not going to follow this. You're going to get civil rights cases that are going to mirror under under Title VII and under under federal law that are going to mirror the civil rights cases of the 1960s. Except instead of the Ku Klux Klan as a defendant, you're going to have Harvard and Yale and and Northwestern. As defendants, and they're going to be <clears throat> they're going to be making the same arguments that the that the racists in in you know Birmingham, Alabama, and and Little Rock, Arkansas, were making in the 1950s. That's where the that's where this is going to push those universities. Well, uh, Lou, how do you how do you uh, 
I don't think anybody over a 100 or 200 year span, be it recent immigrants, be it whatever it is, I don't I don't see that a university, of course, you could, you could raise the thought that none of this is any of their business. They just should provide education. Other people should do this other stuff. Matter of fact, I could make that argument pretty good, I think, pretty well, uh, my South Side English. Uh, I mean, how do you, at some point, with there's some sort of hardship situation, I know, I don't know if you listen to when our, our friend uh, uh, Jean was on, and she, director of admissions at Michigan Engineering School, and she also, was the head of a program in inner city Detroit where Michigan ponied up some money and sort of the Detroit school system and their idea was to take these kids from the inner city and they actually found a spot which was the which was the big change somebody donated a building where they actually bust kids there after school like you would a football game and they were able to you know uh, learn engineering and do stuff in their own time after school and a lot of these kids ended up some of them ended up going to the University of Michigan uh, Engineering School, and I'm going to say somewhere along the line, Lou. And I don't, I don't think if you happen to be not black, I think you could, you could have gotten into this program. And and I I don't know that this I never asked her whether these kids were given any kind of preference on some small level into the School of Engineering. And I think a lot of them graduated and did actually very well and caught up on the other stuff. I don't know that I have a real issue with that on some small level for a while. It just no, because because you're not you're not fixing the pipeline at the end and trying to force the same stuff out of the end of the pipeline by by discriminating against people. You're going back in at the front of the pipeline, where <clears throat> where you can identify the deficiencies immediately, and they're not necessarily grouped by race. They're grouped right. more by class. And you can fix, you work on fixing those deficiencies at the front of the pipeline rather than at the back of the pipeline where you say, okay, we're going to force equality on, on all of you people. And we're going to, and when you force, this is the, this is the left's new meaning of the word equity. When you force equity, you know, when you say, okay, everybody's got to have an equal outcome. The only way you get there is by, is by screwing people. You know, you, you, you have to use government interference, government force, the force of law to to restrict the ability of some people to perform. Because if you don't, you're not going to get equal outcomes. But I'm going to take a, a wild shot and say the kids that uh, Jean was successful at getting, and I don't, I'm sure she didn't monkey with the stuff, I'm going to guess their SAT verbal scores we're not as good as the average person. In other words, I guess what I'm saying is at some small level, I don't have a problem with helping people out. I just, when it becomes institutionalized, I don't know what, then I have a problem with it. Am I, do you agree with me or not? Uh, the, 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 way to, the way to deal with this is to come into your school system at, in, in <clears throat> probably no later than middle school. By the way, this is what I did when I, was, when I was recruiting for the service academies. I didn't start talking to people about the service academies, about Air Force or West Point, I didn't start talking to them when they were seniors in high school. Right. I started talking to them when they were freshmen in high school, and in some cases, even sooner than that. If you come into a class where you, if you hold up a school in, the, in, in some, you know, horrific neighborhood, you hold that school up and say, this, this the test scores here are abysmal, we, we're going to fix this, and you throw money at it, you, you, you're not going to be accused of racial discrimination. All right. If you come in and you identify a, a, a group of, of 
folks in a in a, a, a class based <coughs> excuse me group that is um, low performing in in elementary school or junior high school or even or even in high school, and you come in and throw money at that, you you you, you give them the special programs, and you open it up to everybody in that school, you're not going to be accused of discrimination. That's remedial, and you can point to a and, and if somebody wants to stand up and say this this <clears throat> affects predominantly African Americans, you could say no no it's a school based solution. Everybody in that school, we're not using race, everybody in that school is, is getting affected by this and being given the opportunity. Now, if we start segregating the applicants to these programs by race, we've got a problem. But if we do it on a voluntary basis where we, where we come in and it's school-wide or it's community-wide at that lower level, we can identify a very clear state interest that will, that will sus- or, uh, survive What's called strict Okay, we don't have much time. I got a, kind of a specific question, like with Jean's case, because she's obviously a good friend of mine. Uh, we, you know, suppose one of the things they did, I'm glad she sure as hell didn't ask me to do it, is they give all these kids a bag of stuff, the engineering stuff, and you're supposed to create a robot that can wing a frisbee. Now, I'm going to say the chances of this chief guy, me, coming up with a robot that it could do anything are like zero, right? All right, so. You come up with, you find some kid, you find some kid like Andrew, doesn't matter what color he is, the kid can't put three words together, and all of a sudden his, his robot's winging the thing 500 yards. You realize this kid has serious talent, but he also doesn't have, you know, maybe he doesn't have the, you know, maybe the kid doesn't even know how to do geometry, but he clearly has some engineering talents innate. How do you get that person in if you have a requirement of, you know, 500 on the SAT verbal? How do you, I mean, what's, what's the, what's the workaround? Well, I mean, I can tell you what we did at, at, at Air Force and what the service academies do. <clears throat> we identify those kids, and we divert them into what's called a prep school, a preparatory school. And they are they are taken out of their neighborhood. They are put into a regimented, you know, enlisted rank system at a, at a geographically separate location. They're in with a bunch of guys just like them, and you sit them down and say, okay, if you want to go to college, this is what if this school, this is what you got to do, and you crank on them really hard, and you know at the end of a year, academic year, I think that was some incredible number, like ninety-five percent of these guys, their test scores are high enough to be admitted, and they go in, and and this is <clears throat> this is what you got to do. Now these guys, these guys have already been called from the population because their instructors have identified them and they are motivated to do this and they, they understand... These are the kids that come out of this, like, high school Ratsy and stuff. Well, in some cases, or, or I mean, a lot of them are athletes who want to go to school there but whose, whose score, test scores aren't high enough. A number of them, Chief, and this is... this is, I, I'm all in favor of this, are enlisted guys okay. who are young, young enough to make it, who have already served but whose SAT scores in high school weren't, weren't good enough. And they're identified by their commanders. My, my kid was one of them. They're identified as, by their commanders as likely candidates for, for the service academy. Really? <clears throat> they, go through, they, yeah, they go through a selection process, and they are, as long as they're young enough, they go through a selection process, and they are placed into, they're placed into uh, the prep school. They spend a year getting their academics up to speed, learning how to study again, learning how to do all this. They, they, and they pull exactly the guys that you're, you're just talking about. Some guy who looks like a whiz 
on on you know. Uh, well, I, I would not be. Well, we got a dash. Uh, I have a feeling we'll be talking about this stuff next week. Uh, I have. I wouldn't come out of one of these things. What if my robot couldn't even throw a frisbee? Where are they going to put me? Nowhere. Uh, you go in the infantry. <laughs> I'd be in the trench. This guy's perfect for trench That's right. warfare. That's right. <laughs> have, a, have a good one, bud. SP Futures down 23, Dancing Futures down 72. Be right back, Mr. Dan Janitas. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks and, jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. There's something happening here. Hold on, Stacks and Jacks. Now, time out. Hand on the board. SP Futures up 20. I'm sorry, down 25. 25. Nasdaq Futures down 81. And we had we have Mr. Dan Janinas, who's short 50 spoo, I hear. Yes, I'm here. You sold him at the high, I hear. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> it's a it's hard to find highs and lows. It, it seems like you're more likely to buy a high and sell a low than you are the way around these days. But it just <laughs> trading's kind of tough. But uh, trading is definitely tough. So what's up? How are you? What are you? Uh, what do you what do you make of the world? I'm looking at the the Fed numbers here. I, 
have no idea why Jenny Yellen is over in Beijing, but she is. Um, I don't know why she's not on a golf course in, in Arizona. I mean, in retired or, or, you know, I'm spending time with grandchildren or, um, you know, letting some <clears throat> some newer person come in and, and, you know, take her reins. I really, um, I think it's about time. You know, I think it's more than about time. Um, and I don't understand either, um, just to follow up on that. Um, I, what, 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 what is going on and what we see, you know, going back to trading is, Tom, there's one very distinctive trend right now. And as a bond manager who had a high yield background and as a manager who looks at smaller and micro cap companies, I can absolutely say there is a lot, there is a major liquidity problem. problem. So this liquidity problem has been percolating under a market that has been somewhat um, resilient. And if you look at what's happened the first half of the year, especially with NASDAQ, people probably, people who follow these growthy, techie, Tesla type names are probably not even aware that we have this underlying percolating liquidity issue. And here's where, here's uh, some of the, the facts that support this. So we had talked about this before, but in high yield bonds, there's still a lot of demand. So people are still chasing yield. So as a result, the, the yield that you get on a high yield bond today, or the spread, which is the difference between the yield on the bond and a yield on a comparable treasury, is about 425 basis points, or 4.25%, more than a similarly price, a similarly rated, um, tra uh, you know, it, it's more than a similarly, um, it's more than a bond with a similar maturity, a treasury bond. So that spread itself is representative of how high yield is doing. When that spread widens out, high yield becomes cheaper. Well, that spread has actually tightened. So that's telling you that high yield bonds look attractive. But going back to this liquidity issue, the bid offer spread, which is a very different spread, that's the, the spread between what you can pay for a bond and what you can sell a bond for, that has widened out greatly. So just a few months ago, <clears throat> six months ago, you that, that spread on a lot of the bonds we look at, bid offer spread was about a half a point. Well, now it's two points. And in some quick cases, you can't find bonds. If you're trying to buy them, in some cases when you try to sell them, the bid keeps dropping. <clears throat> and why is that? <clears throat> the main reason is there's a liquidity crunch, and the liquidity crunch, again, it's, it's sort of an undercurrent, it's percolating, it has been percolating. Part of the reason for this has been the general credit tightening causes this type of, of liquidity issue. Um, and the other thing is there's also, you know, uncertainty with credit and, and, you know, in general. So that applies to high yield. Well, high yield is a much bigger um, metric for understanding liquidity, but yet high yield is a part of the financial market or it is a financial market that many investors don't understand. Fortunately, I started in the high yield area so I can I can say this with a lot of confidence that we are in a period of less liquidity 
and declining liquidity. So this, this, this liquidity is declining. So part of it is due to higher rates, part of it is due to the credit tightening, part of it is due, frankly, to some companies having issues. We're also seeing it, the same lack of liquidity in both small cap and in micro cap names. So just six months ago, there was no trouble finding um, these stocks and actually finding decent bids when it was time to sell. Today, that bid offer has widened out. There's a lot less liquidity. So what are investors doing, or what are people doing to cause this lack of liquidity? <clears throat> well, in the case of bonds, especially if you're buying short-term bonds like us, you're holding on to them. So a lot of the buyers of bonds who were trading them in the secondary market up until recently are now sitting on them because it doesn't make sense to pay to, to you know sell your bond at 99 and a half when it's going to mature in two days at a hundred and that extra pop that you're getting is well worth taking well Dan so why should, why uh I'm su I'm kind of surprised being you're, you're obviously describing uh something why well, I don't do that much trade in that area that is very interesting but I guess my question is why ever since I've been in this business for a really long time there's been a systematic I'm going to say government orchestrated to have less and less people in the business, less and less people making markets and bonds, less and less buying houses. Look how many people have gone under. Uh, why? Why is this surprising? I guess is my question. It, what surprises me, Tom, is 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 just the sharp contrast from where we were just a few months ago. Remember, so much money had been pushed into our system and a lot more than probably should have been pushed into the system. And that caused um, a, you know, an abundance of liquidity. So we weren't really seeing that. I do agree with, with what you're saying, that that's one more point in the list on that list of reasons we're seeing less liquidity because there are fewer dealers. However, we trade on an institutional level. So unlike a retail investor, an individual investor, who has a very hard time even finding these bonds, we still have about 15 dealers that we deal with when we're selling and, and buying high-yield bonds. Okay, I get it. Uh, it's just that a lot of them have don't have anything to offer, and they're not bidding, and part of, <coughs> part of that reason is that, that the, um, you know, that market has dried up, and they don't, I mean, there is risk there, and they don't want to be the ones stuck during this period of illiquidity. So some of it has to do with specific credits or with specific stories. More of it has to do with less capital flow. And yes, the, the consolidation um, amongst uh, in, in bond, bond investors, I mean, bond, you know, um, institutional bond or retail bond um, shops has certainly made this worse. But it's it's been there all along, and and we it was just overshadowed by all of this liquidity pumped into the system. Well, Dan, I think it also is uh, you don't want to be critical of the of the rank and file and clients and potential clients, but there's not a whole lot. If somebody buys a bond at an eight percent, you find one for them, and all and they pay ninety six for it. Say it's whatever rate it is on the on a hundred. For par, and then you buy you guys something different. You buy something different, so you buy it from somebody, and you get seven. You get a nice buy, which is what you basically do all day. And all of a sudden, if it runs to one hundred four, 
I'm going to say, well, your clients, especially the, the ones we have, you know, maybe together, I hope would realize that now at 104, you're only getting six, and that you're better off probably selling it at 104 than you are hanging Absolutely. in there. But, but most people, I think, think they're still getting eight and have no intention of selling it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's part of it, too. I think it's not totally understanding. But, yes, they do trade in the secondary market. Unfortunately, <clears throat> with the higher-grade bonds, you are seeing that. With the lower-quality bonds, not seeing it so much, not seeing quite as much movement. Um, but with the higher-grade bonds, you will see them trade to a premium because people are looking for that current yield. So although their yield to maturity is lower, they're still collecting this really fat coupon, and it's that coupon income that is what is that's part of their investment strategy. So you're right, where you're losing it is on principle when you buy a premium bond. We have a strategy we don't pay a premium, and that strategy has helped us um, attain really solid performance results that have be beaten the market because I used this word in the past, um, once a bond trades over 100 or over a par, you have what's called negative liquid, I mean, um, negative convexity. That bond price has to come back to par when it matures. So during that period of time, you're only gonna see a decline in the principal value. You will continue to re, um, receive the coupon payment, but you lose two things. You lose the, um, you know, you have to take the the yield that you get on the principal right. and subtract what you're losing, and then the reinvestment rate risk is there as well. So well, that's that the thing. Also, what is, but that's that's essentially exactly what you said when you started the show. If you look at this bond and you say, "Wow, it looks like it's trading 104," then they used to actually be listed in the paper, right? Uh, the bond's trading 104, and the next morning you look at it and you go, "Well, that's interesting. It's 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 at 104, but it's 101 bid." Exactly. And then you say, well, okay, if, if I puke it out at 101, uh, well, that's a big difference in interest right there. And then, by the way, the one I'd like to buy is 99 bid at 102. I'm going to pay. I'm not going to pay sell down three points and pay up three points. I'm not going to do that to anybody. It's really crazy yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's really. You're totally right, and it's really crazy right now to to watch this spread. Um, you know that that bid offer spread widen to a point where. It's ridiculous to try to even consider buying on that spread, buying on the on the um, offered side, and it's really ridiculous to try to sell something a week before it matures at a, a yield of 25%. So what I would say to those investors who were in that situation, because it's even worse with retail, is hold on to maturity. I mean, it's this is kind right. of a longer term buy and hold to maturity. This is less. It's taken out the liquidity, so there's less trading. Same thing applies to small and micro stocks, but the thing with small and micro stocks that you have to be careful of is that they're, they don't have a maturity like bonds. So even though we might like the, um, really like the story behind it, and we have some terrific companies, you know, we mentioned Comfort Systems, uh, ticker symbol FIX, they do HVAC for commercial. I mean, this, this company is a fantastic company. But they have less liquidity like all the other small cap stocks right now. So you have to be really careful and you have to look at your price. And what we do um, and our, my analysts do is we really look at the valuation and we want to make sure that we're buying at the right price. 
So you have to get away from falling in love with the stock, whether you're buying a small cap stock, whether you're buying a Tesla. I think one of the biggest problems, and it's a particularly big problem right now because of less liquidity, is people falling in love with a particular name. And those names are, are um, you know, you could really get burnt by running up um, in, you know, running up in a momentum-driven environment on certain particular names. And then when it comes time to sell, you're going to see a pretty sharp sell-up. Now, one thing we've seen that is very noticeable, and I've seen it on several different levels, we have this rally in tech. And again, we're not the tech guys. We're we're more of the um, you know the, the the basic materials and and you know we will buy tech but it's not our it's not our primary area because we're looking for income you know growth and capital preservation so if you're in the tech world you've had your run we really believe that there's still some left and certainly the market has shown that this year but the tech names um, have started to turn over so we see that in stock prices and certain stock prices but we I also see it when I talk to the companies talking to a client last night whose son works for Dell who says the work environment is really challenging because unlike you know other businesses that can hire help um, a lot of people in tech are losing their jobs and they're moving from company to company so there's a very different dynamic going on in the tech space than there is say in in the in most industrial companies and this dynamic and this is what the, when they're referring to things like rolling recessions what this this um, dynamic is being um, augmented by the issues that we're seeing in the labor market because that's really taken us out of um, our historic um, what we've gotten used to historically. So now we have tech people who are, and I've met with several of them, several clients recently, who are in tech that work for Amazon, that work for Tesla, that work for um, Dell, and what they're seeing is a very different environment than what, for example, the the comfort systems people are seeing um, that do the HVAC work. What they're seeing is just a there's a lot of new players coming into the market they're watching technology change extremely rapidly especially with AI, AI coming in they're going from a work environment that used to have ping pong, ping pong tables and kegs of beer to a work environment where they're not getting bonuses or they're being paid as, as one of my clients said they're being paid socks literally socks with the with the company logo on them as their bonus so there is, there are two different worlds here, and if you're in that world of tech, you're seeing some really major softening, and you're seeing a very different work environment. And unlike when we were starting out in our business, um, when there was a huge premium put on loyalty and providing benefits, and people raising families and wanting health insurance and wanting stability, and that has changed. It is a very different world, and it's a very different world in terms of tech. That will help determine not only the, how the stock prices of these companies perform, but whether they're going to really be successful in this consolidation to you like to, to kind of streamline things using technology or, or to just have to streamline things because they can't compete in the new technology. 
One quick example that I learned about this weekend at a, at a, at a holiday party, um, the 4th of July party, and it caught me off guard, but, I, but, it, but it makes a lot of sense. So Amazon.com, we all know Amazon. I actually like Amazon. I think they're, um, it, it's great for somebody like me who doesn't like to shop. Um, you know, the packages delivered to your house, you pay the, you know, the Amazon Prime and you, you get a lot more as far as I'm concerned. It just saves your time, saves gas, saves, just, it's, it's just a good deal. I think it's a great, a great deal. Well, then I learned about Timu. I don't know, Tom, have you heard about Timu? No. T-E-M-U, and I hadn't either. And um, not sure that that's showing our age or just um, it's relatively new and is now becoming more widespread. Well, now take Amazon. Timu is like an Amazon. You can buy online and you can buy a lot cheaper. Um, and from what I understand, a fair amount of the goods are coming from China. So it might take a little longer to get those goods, but you're paying maybe a quarter of the price for the same thing you're paying on Amazon. Point being that there is a certain point that we get to, whether it's a good or a service, that people say, I'm no longer paying that. And by the way, I can go to Timu and get it at half price. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people that want to buy stuff from China anymore. You know what you're describing, I, way, way back when I was... I took my graduate marketing exam that used to be called the wheel of retailing. You heard that term? Yes. That's exactly what you're talking about. Somebody now Amazon starts to add some frills to their stuff, okay? Instead of just going with you pay the you pay the UPS or you pay whatever, we'll get you people get on our site. They add some frills and all of a sudden somebody comes in and says, We don't got no stinking frills. We don't care if we're getting it from China. We don't care if it's slave labor. We don't care what it is. We're going to drop it off at your door cheaper. And people are going to say, I'm not accusing you of this. People are going to say, I'll do that. I don't care where it's from. I, I, I don't see anybody who looks like a slave running around with this thing. But uh, And I'm just going to ignore that. Okay, so I'm not not saying that you can't buy stuff made in China from Amazon. You surely can. But uh, I'm saying that this is, I mean, uh, the, the, the wine store that I buy wine in, they just have... Uh, you know, the cases are piled up on the store, on the floor. Well, someday they're going to make the place a little nicer and, and have racks and pay all the stuff, and the place is going to look nicer, and they're going to have nice-looking people winding around helping you find the wine. All of a sudden, one day, there'll be a guy down the block that has another wine store when uh, stuff's just piled up on the floor again, right? It's just, right. It's just the way it works. But, you know, you mentioned uh, something. Actually, you mentioned a lot of really good stuff here, Dan, but I've, I've never, as you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of people, and lately... I've talked to you know a lot of potential clients uh, with one of the firms I'm with, and they're not they're not my clients. I mean, we haven't had a chance to have a seminar or a class or anything. But uh, I I am astounded, Dan, in, in the in the money management business, it's always really kind of difficult to find yourself compared to something because there's always somebody somewhere who did it better, right? Uh, it, it, when we first started in a, our protected index program. There was only one ETF, was the Spider, so it was really easy over a period of several years to say, "Here's what we did versus the Spider," and we always did well. You know, I mean, uh, uh, there was the years where the market didn't go up a whole hell of a lot, but we were never down. A couple times the market was down twenty five percent. I mean, we did we did fine, and uh, but now it's you're continually being judged by people that have no no real track record. You're being judged against. 
Tom yes, Lee and Kramer and people. I had a guy yesterday, thank God I didn't talk to him, somebody else in the firm did. He's getting, the guy's got a lot of dough. He's getting rid of all of his managers, and he's just going to buy the high-tech stuff that people have been talking about on TV because if he just would have done that, he'd be up 50% instead of, you know, the 5 and 10 or whatever percent his managers are that are diversified. Maybe have stocks like you, or maybe they run a protected program like me. These are the same people that at the beginning of the year, they would say, if you were to get me protected 7 or 8%, I'm happy as a clam. Well, now they're not happy. Because look at these things that go up, and how come I'm not in them? What am I paying you guys for? It's I've never seen a more frothy kind of. I have to, but it, it turns what it turns into, uh, Dan. To me, is they're asking, they're they're trying to and demanding of me and you, of trading last quarter's market. Yes, we, absolutely. We, we can't do that, and, yeah, and, and, yeah. and every single time somebody, I think, looks what was hot the last year, versus what's. And, and buys it today, I think virtually every time they've failed. And I actually had one one guy, and I, you know, obviously, I don't think I, I'm not so sure he's the client I'm looking for. I mean, if he probably isn't. Uh, last year was in all the high tech stuff. Got out of it. Okay, now he's all back in it at like current prices. After after the thirty point rally this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. After and I'm thinking the same things liable to happen to this guy two years in a row. Well, this is why we do, you know, this is why we have diversification and this is why we've kept some allocation of, for example, silver and gold. Right. And this is why, you know, and this is why you have a professional man- money manager doing this because we have had years, we've had decades of experience. And even though the, the situation doesn't repeat itself exactly, it rhymes. It's similar enough that we know, we know when, we know when to be out, we know when there's momentum. And you and I, Tom, have that added advantage that a lot of the younger portfolio managers don't have and that we did trading. Like I traded as a buy side portfolio manager first day in the business. So I really got to understand that drumbeat in the background. I understood the, you know, the, the flow of funds. You hear Kenny Polkari talking about it yeah. on the sell side, but the same thing on the buy side. I knew who because I was in Boston, so I knew when Fidelity was buying and Mass, Mass Mutual, and I knew when um, Mass Financial was buying and, and um, Putnam and State Street. So that information is something that is really important to knowing when to be in and out, and it's also something that's really only, um, we, we, we get it as institutional people, very difficult to get that sort of color as a well, retail investor. I think Dan is what you're talking. We're both kind of beating around the same. If, if for instance, you and I had a client and we were twenty percent in gold last year, or twenty-five or thirty, whatever. At the beginning of the year, people weren't all that happy with the market, right? Uh, so, say we were twenty-five percent in gold, and somebody talks to you and says, "Gee, you know, if we weren't twenty-five percent in gold, and we were to take it at twenty-five percent and put it in uh, Nvidia." We'd be having a better year. Well, duh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, we we both know that, right? And we're probably yeah, whacking ourselves upside the head. But that's not the same as saying sell my gold today and let's get an Nvidia at this price. There's a huge difference, and that's the part that's hard to. Difference. There's a huge. Yeah. I mean, they don't. Hopefully, they don't have to tell us that we'd have been better off in Nvidia than in gold <laughs> for the first six months of this year. I think both of us have figured that out, haven't we? 
Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I think also one thing that we have to remind the clients is what their um, objectives are, what their uh, return objectives are, what the risk parameters are, and going full out in 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 Nvidia would not be a suitable, a prudent for an investor who is has retired that is living off of a fixed income. Maybe going fifteen or twenty percent in when you believe is truly undervalued, but that fear of missing out has really come into our market in recent years. And I, I don't know if you agree with oh, me yeah. on this. I didn't see this years ago. I, I didn't see that. I saw diversification. Well, you, you saw ago. it. You saw it during the the dot bomb in the late nineties. The dot coms, right? But I'm going back even further. Um, you know, when I was getting started in the business in the mid eighties, and and it, it just there was a different mentality. It was really just find the best investment. You know, we were more of a buy, we were more of a bottom-up firm um, with an overlay on on um, the macro environment. But we're looking for the best opportunities, and the good news is that there are a lot of good opportunities. You just have to do your homework, and that's what we do. And well, that's we, how we you were coming off a period where my dates could be wrong here, uh, Dan. But I'm going to say from when did the Dow first hit a thousand? Was it 68, 69, and then didn't it was in the hit, late 60s? And yeah. didn't hit it again to what 83? Yes. So, I mean, the mentality of people was a hell of a lot different. Where for you went through a 15-year totally period, and all of a sudden the next year you make them 7 or 8%, God, they're, they're willing to take you to dinner. I mean, it's – Right. I mean, but now, what do you mean you only made 8%? This other one doubled. It's a whole different and, – and you didn't have CNBC. You weren't competing against guys that did, all they do was talk. Right. And, and the thing that I would say, you know, again, for listeners is – Guys like uh, who are on your show, Tom and I, are really, we're really the experts, if you will. I mean, there really doesn't, you know, you don't, you can't find people who are, who are more expert in making these decisions. And certainly listening to some of the CNBC and, you know, Fox Business News and even Bloomberg, people who are speaking certainly don't have our level of experience. And if you listen to them and follow, carefully follow their recommendations over time, Keep a track record because I would tell you that Tom and I are doing a better job. Well, but it's and, it's and nice it, to have it, you and I. Plus, have some morals. We're not going to go out and buy absolutely, uh, you know, silver tomorrow and tell everybody else to buy it so we could sell it to them. <laughs> it's not our it's not our job to speculate. No, you know, we 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 can add a little bit of alpha here and there by by going into names that we really have a high level of a conviction. Like we we added some HCAs at two seventy. And sold them at 305, and that type of thing will add as as additional alpha to the portfolios. But we have a strong conviction in those names when we buy them, yep. and we are not jumping on the bandwagon. All right, Dan. Last, we got a, we got a dash, bud. But when is this gold going to start to go up? Speaking of gold, I think we're going to see. I think we're going to see this happen as we continue to see less liquidity in the market, and more importantly, as we continue to see the dollar weaken relative yeah. to Europe, that's going to take some time because Europe and Asia are still behind us. Somebody, Somebody's a liquidator. Who do you think it is, Russia? Could, could be. <laughs> I think somebody's a liquidator because whenever it goes up, somebody's there. Right. All right, Dan, take care of yourself. See you Thank soon, you. I hope. Uh, SP Futures now down 33. NASDAQ Futures down 135. We're leaking here. Uh, jobless claims, that, that came in right as expected, so that didn't do it. We'll be right back. Mr. John Flanagan.
How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Andrew on the board. We have some interesting moves on these uh, jobs, strong jobs data. Uh, the big number's coming out tomorrow. We'll have Carl on. We do our usual monthly uh, thing on that. The best report you can find anywhere, I believe. I believe. But this one came out today. Uh, we'll see the, the big movement. S&P futures down 33. NASDAQ futures down 134. Dow futures down 226. We'll see what's happening. Europe was already down. Um, down more. DAX down 216. 1.4%. FTSE down 113. 1.5. CAC around down 152. That's over 2%. 2.1%. Ouch. Renasia. Nikkei down 565, 1.7%. Hang Seng down 577. It's over 3%. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Uh, Shanghai down 17.5%. Uh, but uh, this is the big one here. 
Uh, up 10 year, up nine basis points to 403. I was just saying in the last an hour ago, we're going back to four. I didn't know an hour later would be over four. Uh, the bun up 11 basis points, 2.59. Japan up six basis points, 0.44. Oil up uh, down 16 cents, 71.63. Uh, uh, Brent uh, down 23 cents, 76.42. Natural gas uh, down uh, one cent, 264. Arbob unchanged at 251. We've got gold. On 11.60, gold is not necessarily like higher interest rates, although gold was at record highs in the 80s when the interest rates were high, so you got to be careful with that one. Silver, we had a big rally up yesterday, down 32 cents, 23.09. Copper down a penny, 3.73. We got uh, Bitcoin up 94 bucks, was up more earlier, uh, 30,592. And we have the U.S. dollar, uh, now it's down a little bit against the euro and the pound. Uh, the pound, it's more, it's 127, and the euro is. 109, kind of where it's been. So it's kind of in this little bit of a range, but the dollar is not getting stronger here. It's actually getting a little weaker. Uh, what do you have for us, Traffic Weather Sports? All right, it is 739 here in Chicago. Starting off with some sports. Yesterday, the Cubs. Uh, oh, wait, sorry. The wrong date right here. Uh, yesterday, the Cubs uh, won for the Brewers 4 2 3, and the Diamondbacks lost to the Mets 2 to 1. The game between the Blue Jays and the White Sox was delayed to today. Uh, there's some rain, pretty heavy rain yesterday. Monsoon. Oh yeah, pretty bad. And that's going to be uh, played today at 4.10 p.m. Uh, over to Chicago weather. It's currently 71 degrees. you got mostly cloudy skies. It looks like it's going to stick around all day. A very, very low percent chance of precipitation, around 5%. Uh, we're going to have a high of 77 degrees today, and that's going to hit around 5 p.m. Over in Phoenix, they're currently at 85 degrees, sunny skies. They have two alerts going on right now. It's an excessive heat warning as temperatures can reach up to 110 degrees, and that might happen uh, around also around 5 p.m., uh, as well as a air quality alert. So uh, it's recommended to stay indoors and, and not be breathing in as much today. Uh, but finally, for Chicago traffic, um, things have picked up definitely a little bit from our first hour. Uh, we have an accident reported on... Uh, see the excuse me the inbound Eisenhower uh, that's at Central Avenue and uh, looks like if you're coming in on the inbound 94 uh, there's some pretty heavy delays there no accidents it looks like but uh, definitely a lot more heavier than usual um, and finally that good old Kennedy construction is causing delays all the way from Foster Avenue to race Racine Avenue so that's all I got back to you. we have mr. Flanagan Morning, John. Hey, John. How are you? Good. How about you? I'm okay. Uh, last night I couldn't believe how dark it got at six thirty. Oh man, I was I was hearing you before talking about that, and I thought you know my watch had stopped. <laughs> Didn't know what to make of it, but man. Plus, John, I had a uh, I had a well, it's actually traumatic enough of an experience yesterday, but I'm thinking how bad it could have been. I was uh, I had run an errand, so I'm heading out. And I'm on LaGrange Road, and I pull into the left-hand turn lane, 143rd Street. And the light turns red, and the guy in the lane closer to the sidewalk, because not many people walk out there, he stops, light stone call red, and all of a sudden I hear this revving of a motor, and obviously the guy in the second lane had no intention of stopping, and he's hitting the gas, right? Some lady had started to walk across the street, passes the first car, Sort of sees the second one, backs up a hair. The guy couldn't have missed her by six inches. And he had to be going 65 miles an hour. And I'm going, 
I really would never have recovered if I'd have seen that. I mean, she wouldn't have landed for 200 yards. That was, and the guy never even just kept going. I mean, they didn't hit her, so I guess. But the idea, I mean, the light was stone cold red. The guy's in this real expensive SUV. You know, I'm really? This poor lady, the look on her face, John, I'll never forget it. I mean, she just, talk about her life flashing before her eyes. I'm like, I'm like, what is going on with this guy? Everybody else had already stopped. I just, and I'm sitting there going, I wouldn't have wanted to witness that. You know, I mean, obviously nobody would have, but you see how close it is and how when these people drive like this, they think it's nobody's ever going to get hurt, but yeah, you are. I mean, somebody someday will. It's kind of crazy. Anyway, probably probably didn't need to know that, but I, I, I couldn't get the look out of her face out of my head all day after that. Oh, I bet. I mean, the, the disregard I see just for kind of basic safety stuff at yeah. intersections now, I'm just, I kind of, you know, I, I shake my head when I see people. You know, pulling around people at stoplights into opposing traffic and just you know doing a duck around well, I, somebody. Every, every once in a while, you'll hear some outrage, and of course, I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but you'll see outrage of all the news media if a bicyclist, bicyclist, which uh, obviously you're supposed to think of, here's somebody for the environment, for whatever, not one of you dirty car people, uh, gets hit by a car. I don't want anybody hit by a car, but I have yet to see. I don't think I've ever seen a bicyclist stop for a stop sign, and most of the time not for a red light. I mean, no, I, they're exempted, too. They're, they're, they they're think wrong. they're exempted, yeah. I don't get that. But, hey, uh, what did you think of our, um, I don't know if we had a chance to listen in, but what did you think of all the stuff we were talking about with Lou and how the, the, the these Supreme Court decisions are, I use the term thunderous, really. Uh, I, I'm going to say I, Agree with well, I sure agree with the one in Louisiana. I don't want the federal government telling people what they can say and can't. Uh, I I don't I don't see how the hell they get enforced, Jan. I mean, or am I just being too cynical here? No, I, the Lou laid it out very clearly as he always does. And, um, he's you know still practicing, which I'm not. I'm not in active practice anymore. So he characterizes these things more clearly than I can. But, but you know, an example I would use to, to back it up is, you know, what happened with Brown versus Board of Education, you know, the desegregation case in, in 1954, which overturned the separate but equal doctrine that had been in place, you know, since 1896. Um, but Eisenhower, to enforce it, had to bring in the troops to Little Rock in 1957. And it took a long time for Ole Miss, you know, to become desegregated with James Meredith, you know, that was I was in fifth grade or something like 1962. These battles were still being fought all over the place to make that Supreme Court decision work, you know, at street level. So this was not something that just magically happened because the Supreme Court made a pronouncement on it um, and clearly reversed what had been accepted way of handling segregation of the education system. Well, at least in their mind, it was accepted. It was never accepted in our mind. Of course, right, and you know, this is, and you know, what's been accepted has always been a shifting target. Really, um, I'm going to close my window here, Tim. My neighbor's demolishing his garage today, so hang on just a second. All right, the uh, Keep talking. you just don't okay, just just don't fall out. You know, I mean, I don't want you falling out of that window. I mean, uh, I just yeah, just the, the difference is, I think, is that the uh, Eisenhower ag- agreed with the decision, and w- and was doing his job as the uh, the part of the government that enforces the law, but the sl- the slight difference here that I'm 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 coming ag- I, I'm having trouble with is when you when you start 
saying that the people in the executive branch are the ones that are breaking the law or the, or the FBI is the one that's screwing up, I don't know how the hell that one gets reversed. I don't I mean it's like it's like you know it's like telling a, a, a you know a, a, a dictator by the way you shouldn't be a dictator anymore. I mean where does that go? I mean that saying Eisenhower, Eisenhower brought out the truth. What if Eisenhower would have said, okay, you got your decision now. Now what? You know, he didn't. He brought out the troops right. and he said... That was, you know, that's, um, it was a, a controversial move in some people's eyes, even, you know, to get involved in that, to, to bring in U.S. forces accomplish what the Supreme Court had, you know, laid down pretty clear law on. But, you know, there's been a history of ideologically driven presidencies um, that, you know, when they don't get their way with the court, they're for, you know, packing the court, um, and, you know, bypassing, you know, clear obstacles that are placed in front of what they're trying to do. And, I mean, FDR had so many defeats with his court, you know, by 1937, with so many of the New Deal, you know, programs you know, that his brain trust put together with the overturned in court cases, you know, his solution was to pack the court, and there was an outcry against on both sides of the aisle. The Democrats is just probably as strongly as Republicans. But, you know, that, that same climate is here today again, and you've got the same kind of uh, ideologically driven calls for having the court packed and, you know, impeach the, the people for whatever reason you can dream up that aren't on your side in these cases. And it's, it's an old struggle, and, you know, it, it's net, it's one of the, the defects of a, of a system like the one we've got, where in the long run, until you can change the minds of, of people who were responsible for this at the local level. You haven't accomplished anything like what you were attempting to. Well, I mean, but the Roosevelt had his struggles, and I'm not about to say that the, the man was uh, perfect. Nobody is, but um, I'm going to say that the, the, the mindset among the class, and I'm going to be general with this, the class that was in the Supreme Court. I mean, you, you, you talk to, I mean, when we first got in the business and I started you know, talking to all these guys that came out of school back at a time, and they're a lot older than us, John, where kind of no matter what you did when you came out, the world was your oyster, right? You know, if you came out of school, like a grad school in the 60s, I mean, unless you really, you bought a house that went up, you bought this that went up, I mean, you, you almost couldn't have, I mean, you could have messed up, but I mean, it, you know, it was, let's put it this, the odds were in your favor that you were going to do pretty good. If you were if you were doing how to work at a bank, you got taken over, you got money. I mean, it was not saying it was worked that way for everybody, but by and large, it was a it was a, economically a pretty good life. I mean, you didn't really want to get sick back then, but but I'm going to say the people on the Supreme Court when Roosevelt was here were absolutely convinced because they you know they you know walked uphill against the wind of school both ways and they had money that nobody deserved anything from government because everything they got they got on their own and other people were supposed to as well. And Roosevelt, the base level of it, said that when you have a country the size of ours that where we have essentially plenty or should have plenty, that nobody nobody gets to starve. And, and there's, there's some basic, um, you know, some basic net under everybody, even if it was pretty darn low. It was the first sort of Social Security check, like nine bucks or something. Uh, you know, it was pretty darn low. And there, there was a... A massive disagreement between the haves that, then, that saw this moral hazard of giving a guy a bowl of soup and, and guys like Roosevelt. Now, we've seen that the moral hazard, in some respects, was kind of warranted because once these programs start, they never seem to end. 
But the fact is, there was the Supreme Court felt that nobody should ever get a dime, right? And that was that was their story. And it, right, and it was Hoover's, you know. Yeah. You know. And you know, and uh, doesn't mean they weren't charitable people on an individual level, but there were there was a there was just a, a change in uh, you know it took a lot of other people on the court to to maybe change that someday, or they found a way to work around it. But I just but now it seems like the issues are big enough where people should be. I mean, this idea of the federal government telling people what to hear and not to hear when people have been, you know, with this COVID, they're, they're still giving people shots. One of my buddies had a shot yesterday. I go, you did what? Yeah, I walked into Walgreens. They said, you haven't had a shot in six months. You need a shot. I, go ahead. I'm like, you did, don't tell me you did that. But he did. I mean, it, it's still happening. I mean, uh, and we still haven't got a, a real accounting as to whether right now, and I've read all kinds of stuff, you know, obviously from, that I don't know if it's true either, that some guy did a study, and the more shots you've had, the more likely you're going to get COVID. Now, you're not going to die from it, but you're going to, you know. Well, I, that's it. confirmed anecdotally by people I know. You know yeah, I mean, it's my small sample. A shot, a, a shot, I think, two weeks ago. He's been unable to do anything for the last week. I mean, the sickest he's ever been um, one week after taking this this last shot. So um, he's convinced he did the right thing. And, you know, I don't want to you know, fight with somebody when it comes to their own personal health. I trust people to make their own decision, but I I think at some point you got to wake up and say, is this diminishing returns or what? <laughs> but I don't I don't think for a second that Harvard doesn't feel they're not above the law. I mean, I I can't imagine this or any administration actually going up to uh, the Harvard and saying, look, you guys are doing this all wrong. And by the way, you were told not to, and you are. Um, but I, I mean, Lou, I I not really couldn't really understand how the damages are coming down on this thing. He claims. But now, after this decision, it drops down to another court, and there will be damages assessed there. Now, to the individual and, and for the legal fees, you know, just whatever. for legal fees. Yeah. Now, and, and, and Harvard says now Harvard the damages are, are, are. Sorry, go ahead. I'm saying, I, uh, but Harvard and North Carolina are going to have to somehow split that check, or how did, I guess I'm, I'm. I don't know why I'm so curious about this, but I am. I mean, well, it, it, you know, in the case of. The representation at the Supreme Court level, there's a lot of pooling of interest. There are people who are financing either, you know, the defense or the prosecution of these appeals. Um, and it's interest groups that have a vested interest in having some outcome. And in some cases, you know, they're giving legal services perhaps at reduced rates to clients that are really just like named clients who are there for the purpose of making a test case, which is, I think, largely true at least in the affirmative action case, but this was you know, a, a complaint that was crafted to pick two representative institutions doing pretty much the same thing and excluding one group, these Asian students. And there's other people who might benefit from having this clarified or, or from the precedent overturned. So when it comes to adjusting fees among the parties, um, there may be some way of you know, throwing money back because we, we'll donate services of attorney so-and-so or whatever because we have a bigger interest in getting the result here than in getting financial reward for having represented you. There, there could be some altruism mixed into it, I suppose. But but as Lou said, the damages are presumed in that you violated the Constitution, and you're in a group that was expecting constitutional protection because of your race. And once you found that you can't rely on that, there's presumed damages that you can't really unthread in a way that's going to make sense here, to this dollar amount. I should have had treatment XYZ, and then I would have you know, financial benefit ABC that that you will fight about endlessly, 
uh, and you can't go back and relive your life as a college student. So to some extent, this, this can't be really a, a focus of any kind, nor would you want well, it to be, I think. In, in our day, Jan, I hope to think, I like to think that a lot of people, well, it was, a, it was the first time a lot of people and families went to college, so I don't think they put so much of a of a dollar value on it. I mean, I'm sure some did, but I don't think my parents did. They just wanted me to go and uh, and learn something and be the first guy who graduated, especially from Notre Dame. Uh, but uh, but it, not, but now it's it's become, you know, if you don't go and get your CPA or get your engineering degree or something, you're going to make a lot less. Now, whether or not, you know, it's worth the tuition, I mean, we can argue about that and do a lot. But the point being... I guess my, my question is, and I never, never really got a full answer out of Lou, if I was either Asian, white, American Indian, you name it, and I applied or my kid applied to Harvard with, you know, 1,200 board, 1,600 boards and, you know, straight A's and some crap from some uh, high school and, oh, by the way, played in the kazoo band, so we had an ex, you know, extracurricular and basically got flushed. Remember that term? Got flushed from Harvard yeah. and didn't get in. And I'm going to say, okay, the reason why I didn't get in is because, you know, some minority somewhere or somebody from India or God knows what in the midst of diversity get in ahead of me that technically shouldn't by, by the scores anyway. Do I, and I say, okay, my kid has been out of school 10 years and he's making 50000 a year. And oh, by the way, most Harvard kids are making 125. Do I send him a bill for 75 grand times 10 plus interest? And am I going to get paid? I'm thinking the answer is no. But those are the damages, right? I mean, those are the damages, correct? Well, and the damages, you know, are, I mean, it, it's gener- intergenerational too, Tom, because, you know, this is this is not a new phenomenon with Harvard and other Ivy League colleges when it comes to, you know, huge and very identifiable classes of people that they obstruct in the admission process. Um, so it's, you know, a lack of opportunity from generation to generation that, you know, Harvard, Yale, whatever, they have no interest in changing any of this, believe me. They are so beholden to the government, to foundations, to foreign countries, whatever, for their livelihood, that who is there to participate in whatever largesse Harvard has to throw around by virtue of giving you a degree. Um, they can decide who they're going to let in and who they're not going to let in, and they don't care about the results. And, and, and it seems pretty clear now that, you know, a lot of people don't care who's excluded or whether it's fair or not, because fairness isn't part of the, the equation here. It never has been. To give you an example, I mean, I was—I discovered this guy online, Zach DiGregorio's his name. He's got a, a website, Wolves and Finance, and he just has a series of YouTube videos. But he's talking about the relationship between what's happened, say, with the Bud Light boycott or the Target boycott, and how this really plays out in kind of market terms. And he, he said, you know, normally you would have, you know, a, a company that had done such a stupid thing with you know, getting this guy emblazoned on a Bud Light can, apparently just a single can, and then trumpeting it in their advertising. That would be such a stupid business decision that she would have heads rolling all over the place because the stock continues to tank. And that's just the last thing any company wants to see. But they persisted in it, and they haven't apologized, and they've still got a pretty high, you know, ESG score from BlackRock and places like that. So they'll continue to get access to credit that companies that don't march to this tune will be denied. So you've got a completely counterintuitive mechanism going on to mess with the market um, to keep it the way you want it ideologically. And you 
merged a, Demo a Democratic Party with these objectives at corporate finance level, and you've got, you know, the consumer is completely unimportant in this equation. We don't care how much you boycott. We don't care how long the boycott goes on. We're still going to lend money to these people because they're doing the right thing. It's just what they've done with the ERISA regulations and investment of pension funds. Who cares if you lose money for the retirees? You're investing. Yeah, in I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know. I don't get I, don't know how, I can't figure out. That at any cost. You know? I can't, I can't so, figure out how many people are actually paying attention to that, Jay. What, what, what would have to happen? How, how egregious would Harvard, North Carolina have to be to lose? If you had a, if you had a, a uh, whatever, the, the presidential side of our government, the executive branch, actually grave a crap about enforcement uh, because nobody's going to take on Harvard, but could, could they rob them? Rob them. Could they take the tax-exempt status from them if they didn't comply? Not, not in this climate. You know, I, and I, I don't think there'd be a lot of support on either side of the aisle for doing that, but it would take something that radical to change it. A, a better bellwether of what's ha happening is the news that Georgetown hired Anthony Fauci with two academic positions in medicine and in public policy, both of which I would say he is about the least qualified person just because of his age. Well, Lori, Lori Lightfoot you know, Light just got hired by Harvard. But, but, he's, but it's this kind of competition among institutions that have kind of sold their souls, and I would lump Georgetown in with, you know, they're a Harvard wannabe, and they're getting pretty close to being the same kind of thing. They've got more money than is has proven to be good for the kind of decisions they're making and their their competitiveness in you know for a student to get in there and the kind of person they're looking for just trashes you know 90 percent of the population unless you're in a protected group of some kind your persona don't grata and those admission committees lists um, well, the whole, the whole idea the whole idea of the, of the tax exemption of these places is uh i don't i don't i don't get i mean i, I would like to see all that reviewed someday i mean i i'm, I'm all over uh, you know, the, obviously the constitutional part that if if you and I put up a little church somewhere in the middle of nowhere that we don't have to pay tax, because we're probably not going to make any money anyway. So, the, I mean, you don't, you don't have to be tax exempt if you're making dough. But the idea that you can run a professional football team out of Notre Dame and and, you're, and you don't pay an amusement tax, I find that a little odd. Uh, yeah. Man. Although, Tom, I, you know, it would never be a case where their tax exempt status would be stripped. It would be a labyrinth of carve-outs, just like every corporation or interest group seems to have now. That's why the IRS code, code is so bloated. The, the same policy is likely to persist. I don't, I don't care what the Supreme Court says. I don't care what the decisions you know, say or what the kind of actions that are brought say. Um, I don't see this really changing. Um, and, and it's going to take something far more... Well, we're not, we're not, we're not going to get it out of this or any pending administration, I don't think. <laughs> anyway, John, because uh, I don't think I don't I don't think there's any any sort of a moral back back backbone in any any place anymore. I don't I don't no, see it. There is not, Tom. SP futures down thirty six. Nasdaq futures down one sixty eight. Market don't look so good here. Uh, we don't like the uh, but the big news is uh, ten year rate four point zero three. I uh, have not seen that in a while. How'd you like that, Jan? First, first break. I said we're looking to go towards four percent. An hour later, we were there. I'm not so <laughs> Tom, sure. You've got powers I don't. I, I'm not so sure I've ever done it. But of course, as they as they used to say in this trading floor, even a blind squirrel finds an acorn every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> have, have a good one, buddy. Be back tomorrow. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. 
Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit hamzianalytics.com. Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.